following presentation was recorded live by the Jewish Ethics Institute. So I figured, so, so there are a lot of restrictions, and interestingly enough, even things that are relevant today, for example, as we'll see, one of them is, first of all, who they can marry. Cohen can, is prohibited to marry a divorcee. Interesting law, which is relevant today also. Um, and also a Kohen cannot come in contact with, with, a, with a corpse. It means going to funerals, or even uh, my father was a Kohen, Faggy's father was a Kohen, so he won't go to like Museum of Natural History anywhere where there's you know skeletons or mummies. He, he, uh, and they can't go to cemeteries, except for close family, there's permission. There's five blood relatives besides your wife. So wife and parents, your sister and your brother. Um, you're allowed to go to the funerals. Otherwise, you cannot be under the roof, same roof as a, as a corpse. So even going into hospitals, there's issues, comes issues sometimes with Kohanim if there's a morgue in the hospital and they visit uh, people. Um, some, some of the uh, hospitals in Israel actually have seen it. It's a little morbid, but they have lights over the bed. They have a red and green light over every patient's bed. And if a patient dies in the hospital, a red light goes on. So if there's any Kohanim, they know to leave the, <laughs> the hospital. It's a little depressing if you're a patient. See the red light go. But, uh, so, um, the bottom line is, so one of the, what's interesting is, this is what I wanted to discuss, is some of the restrictions are, it talks about a literally physical defect in the Kohen. Torah mentions, after it talks about the other restrictions, it says, and that's the first quote here, it's in Leviticus 21, so it says, verse 15 or 16 it says um, Hashem spoke to Moses saying any man of your offspring throughout their generations in whom there will be a blemish shall not come near to offer the fruit of his God so um, for any man in whom there is a blemish shall not approach a man who is blind or lame whose nose has no bridge has one limb longer than the other goes through a whole list of various physical defects I mean some of them even like minor defects long eyebrows um dry skin eruption, moist skin eruption, some of them are more serious, crushed testicles, so, so the whole list of defects. And then afterwards actually talks about also for the sacrifices, even on the animals, the same law applies. There was no, um, not allowed to be any defects in the animal It's being brought as an offering. So there's a lot of discussion about this. Um, seemingly very discriminatory in which Cohen was allowed to do the service. It's talking about here, again, a Cohen who has this defect cannot do the service. They can't even, and there's another prohibition later on in the portion, um, dealing with even cannot enter certain parts of the sanctuary. They have a defect. This only applies to Cohen. If it's a regular Israel, a regular person cannot, can, can do anything. Can, they, obviously, a regular Israel can't do the service. But in itself, um, the Cohen seems to be, in as far as working in the temple, um, seems to be a very discriminatory uh, um, hiring in the sense, of course, they didn't get paid. It wasn't a job you got paid for anyway. Either way, as a Kohen, you were allowed to have, you had access to all the offerings and the meat that was brought in as the offerings to many of them. So that was sort of, and you got certain tithings. That's not relevant to the blemish, but as far as doing the actual service, um, the Torah says very clearly, any man who has a defect should not approach um, to do the service. So clearly this is uh, living, especially in today's day and age, um, after post-ADA, uh, which was the American with Disabilities Act, which I believe um, was passed in remember, 1993. Not so long ago. I have it written down somewhere. Um, I don't remember what year, but the ADA was passed, I believe, in the early 90s. Which basically, today, I mean, it's, it's gone so to the other side in the sense of um, the ADA today, if you, you can't build any public building with steps, if you build it with steps, you have to make sure to include um, 
you know, have access, equal access to handicap. Even even synagogues, they have to have bathrooms, um, handicap bathrooms. Everything today has to have equal access. Any public public building, um, even if it's privately owned, has to have equal access to uh, for people with handicap. Have you have you dealt with this? In your, sure. Your management and your real estate. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. I mean, so. Every building, anything that's available to the public, um, you have to make sure that. People can get to all the common areas. So all, only common areas. Right. right. And, and even uh, we will talk about it in the workplace. I know I've dealt, I've dealt with this. I gave a class to attorneys last a few months ago, where basically I don't remember the numbers, but again, if you have more than a certain amount of employees, and you have to make what's called reasonable accommodations. Part of the ADA is to make reasonable accommodations for. Um, Persons with disabilities. Yeah, it was actually 2008. Oh no, that's just one second. It's 1999. Was the ADA? I believe. Sorry, 1990. 1990 was this American with Disabilities Act was passed, and then there was amendments done in 2008, which are many of them um, significant changes. Were that you have to make accommodations they call reasonable accommodations to hire people with disabilities. Um, that means, for example, if someone uh, says, if an employee says that they need a higher desk, lower desk for their wheelchair, or they need a, they need more room in their cubicle, or something like that, anything, um, again, it's very ill-defined, and that's where a lot of law comes in. Anything that's called a reasonable accommodation, even time-wise, let's say they need more flexibility with their schedule, because they have to take a you know, handicapped bus to work or a special access bus. So that's required to actually accommodate them. Again, reason uh, on the reasonable, uh, if it's I, reasonable. The question is how to define reasonable. How are you I saying? think you're, well, I, I think you, uh, I think you used the wrong word first. You said you have to make accommodation to hire. That's not right. You have to make accommodations when they are employed by you. There's not a hiring requirement. No, but you can't. The hiring requirement is that you not discriminate. That's a difference. You cannot hire someone because of a specific disability if it won't affect the type of. With regard to reasonable accommodations. It's two different things, yes. Two different things. I'm not aware that you have to make any arrangements to allow people to come late or come early. Yeah, it is. Specifically, it was discussed. Look, I have a thing and I have to find it. Um, But. But that is considered, meaning if their scheduling will not affect, again, the the work, it's the fact that all other employees have to be there at the same time, and they, for whatever reason, they're claiming they need to come later or earlier and they want to leave earlier. So that that is considered, uh, not again, if it's an undue hardship or uh, it is an error. I've discussed it with attorneys specifically. Again, the question is, the problem is it's very vague in what's considered undue hardship, what's considered reasonable accommodation. It's not defined clearly in the law, so that's always a problem. Um, and that's why they have a lot of these organizations that you can call and ask these questions. Um, but, it's, but by the way, all, I'll just read you. Um, this is, you need to have, in 1992, it, you have to have at least 25 or more employees um, and then afterwards they switched a lot to 15 or more employees in 1994 and any, anyone with 15 or more employees um, are, are again need to accommodate 15 right? 15 is for, for ADA ADA? yeah that's what it says here yeah, um Let me just see. So they discuss here, when does a reasonable accommodation become an undue hardship? So, so how that works. And it talks about here, modified work schedules. That's part of it. Um, I'll just read you some on the list. Um, reasonable accommodations, this is just a list here. Is one of them is acquiring or modifying equipment or devices. So let's say someone has a hearing impediment or job restructuring part-time or modified work schedules, reassignment to a vacant position, 
adjusting or modifying examinations, training materials, or policies, providing readers and interpreters, and making the workplace readily accessible to, to and usable by people with disabilities. Um, so, so this is very bad stuff. So the question is, and we'll get to, I mean, how this, if this law, how this law works, but the point is, the question is the Torah, is the, the, is the Torah compliant with ADA? That's really the question. Um, uh, I put it here differently, I wrote, does the Torah agree with ADA? Really the question is that this compliance is a little far-reaching as, as we will discuss, but the Torah seems very clearly, at least in this week's Torah portion, to discuss specifically discriminatory hiring practices as far as the Cohen is concerned. And we're saying if a Cohen has a defect, we don't really, uh, we don't allow him to work in the base of English. Okay, or in the tabernacle in this case. So, how does that work? How does that seem to fit with the Torah? So it says, actually, I couldn't find, interestingly enough, I was trying to do the research, how many people addressed the question. Again, I think it's become, today in our society, in America, it's become considered discriminatory before the ADA was passed. I mean, it wasn't viewed as, uh, you know, someone didn't fit the bill for who you're looking for to hire, you didn't hire him. And so it's, it's sort of uh, become part of our current culture, and not like that, obviously, in all countries. Again, but the question is, what is the Torah? We like to think that uh, at least God is, is uh, in a certain sense, uh, better than the American government and in not being discriminatory against, against uh, people with disabilities. So how does that fit in? So, um, so, so one, there's, there's really two, two um, ways to look at this, is what I found amongst, amongst the few and far between people who do comment on this. Um, so one of them is this concept, um, which I found from the, it's, it's a book, it's a commentary in Chumash, a more contemporary commentary. His name is Rebelio Meir Black. He was the founder of the Tel Yeshiva in Cleveland, Ohio. And he has a commentary in Chumash where he asks this question, he says, so he goes with the opinion, he says, um, it's not about that God is discriminating. Of course, God doesn't view anyone with a disability as any less of a person any which way. He brings various proofs in the Torah. But he says, he says, and this is again, this is also we discussed this maybe in the context of the whole concept of prayer in the temple and the temple, if you, as we discussed in the past, the tabernacle in the Torah is, is everything is gold and ostentatious. Does God really need, uh, you know, a nice house? Right? God doesn't uh, live, have to live, and doesn't need the gold. So it's all about the assumption of society. God understands that the, as human beings, He created us, and the psychology of human beings are we clearly look at things a certain way through our human eyes. So in order for us to respect, so to speak, the office, in this case the temple, service in the temple, it has to be done um, in a way that society will perceive it properly. So just as, uh, as, um, as we need, you know, meaning the example I've seen once was, uh, you know, let's say changing of the guard. It's called in London, we have the changing of the guard. Changing of the guard. <laughs> Uh, right, so so you, you're not going to have. Uh, it's understood. There's not going to be at uh, you know front of the where do they do it. Palace, Buckingham, Buckingham Palace. Palace, right? So front of Buckingham Palace, you're not going to have uh, someone with a distorted face or missing an arm as being cha- you know being uh, mm-hmm. changing in the guard. It's just it's not going to command the respect that's needed for that for that. Uh, and it, it's just uh, uh, you know it's really just. Serve it's, it's a ritual technically. It's nothing that's that serious in any respect. In any respect, but it needs in order to command the respect, you need to have a certain persona. So that's what uh, that's what he explains here. If you look at number four, he says the Yomaya does not, heaven forbid, discriminate against people with disabilities. A person with disabilities is as important and as dear as any other person. The problem is not with the Yomaya. The problem is with us. Meaning, how do we, um, as society, the fact is, as society, we view people differently, and that's part of. Um, of, of this, that's how he goes, explaining that uh, we're going to be affected by it, and therefore the service in the temple has to be done by a certain uh, um, type of type of person. I actually saw there's a you know Judy Abrams, uh, she was a reform, yes. local reform woman rabbi who, um, so she actually wrote a book on Judaism and disabilities. So I, had, I called her because I couldn't find any sources. She's a reform rabbi, but she knows her stuff, and I know she wrote a book about this many years ago. So I called her up. And she also, she described it in this way. I said, how do you answer this 
concept of the Torah, where the Torah seems to be discriminating against persons with disabilities. So she said that was specifically it's an exception to the rule. In the temple, where it's sort of, she described it as where you have, it's the point where the physical world is connecting with the spiritual. Um, so it has to be perfect. That world, is, she's, she said, it's a very dangerous place. Um, as you see here, when we discussed a few weeks ago, if you're intoxicated, the Cohen's intoxicated while he's doing the service, they, you can die. It's, it's where the physical and spiritual are connecting. Um, she said, so, so she was really, it's a different, that's a different way of doing it. First way we're saying is, it's really nothing to do with God. It has to do with our, our perception of, so to speak, of the service. Our perception is affected by the physicalities, and therefore we need to have a gold ark, we need to have a nice place, but this will have to be beautiful. Shul, shul has to be beautiful, not for God's sake, for our sake. Because you can't have this little dinky shul, people are not going to be able to relate to the grandeur of God in that sense. So they really, that, that's the way of looking at it. It has nothing to do with God, it has to do with our perception. She, what the other, the other way to look at it is, no, there is, the fact is, we're, we have God's house, so to speak, where the spiritual, the spiritual world is connecting with the physical world, so there's a lethal sense of things have to be perfect. Things are not perfect um, there, physical and spiritual, physically and spiritually, things can, can go bad, so to speak. So that's how she wanted to explain it. So, it seemed to me the Disabilities Act falls in two categories. One is accessibility, so that someone in a wheelchair has, has the ability to get into a bathroom. Mm -hmm. that, that's one aspect of the Disabilities Act. The other, which is what I think you're talking about, is somebody who doesn't have to go to a meeting. Was <laughs> the punchline. Enjoyed having line. you. <laughs> the, the other is, yeah, it's missing my yeah. analysis, is a, um, a functionality issue, right. uh, which is, so if I could use by analogy, firefighters, it, right. as opposed it's to saying work. women right. can't do it, you impose a test, okay. and the test is gender blind, and this says, the criteria. And says if you can lift this many pounds, if you can carry this hose, if right. you can run in this amount of time, we not don't care job. anymore, right. you know, mm -hmm. if you're a woman or a man, we don't care anymore, you know, mm -hmm. as long as you're in a certain height, if you're five it's foot four, we don't say that you have to be five foot seven. If you can jump, you know, maybe at five four, you can jump as high as a guy at, at five eight. So it seems to me that right. these two ways, yeah. It's the, 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 so that's a, a different. Yes. So it seems to me that, yes. that here Judaism missed the opportunity to say a Kohen who has one limb shorter than the other, but who can perform the functions of a Kohen the intellectual functions, the physical functions, the requirements, is the same as anybody else. And to me, that's the analogy. Again, so you have accessibility and you have functionality. Right. So it's interesting. We can debate both. Yeah, no, I think what you I thought maybe you are saying is the two different ways I sought to explain it are actually two different two different sides of the coin. One is functionality, meaning it can't work without it without these certain criteria. You have to have the perfect person, or like you're saying, a firefighter, in order if it, it has to be a certain, has to be able to lift a certain and, and what, what a, what to make a, it work. And what a chance for the Almighty, or for people, to say, you know what, he, he does right. have a shorter limb, but you know what, let's, let's, look, make look, it work. let's look past that, right. and let's oh, look to, to the divine so that's why it's in the individual. 100%. Yeah. That's why it's, it's a little bothersome, why the Torah seems, seemingly to, seems to discriminate, and it's hard to find a good answer. Um, in other areas, it clearly doesn't, as we're going to talk about. Other areas in the Torah, you find that we don't discriminate, and we're not into the physical aspects of human. It's interesting, and, and just as taking, because even you look at senators, your average senator is, uh, is usually, usually, I'm sure there are exceptions, you know, six foot three, you know, uh, usually a fit guy, you know, he has a nice crop of hair. <laughs> he, right, there's a certain aspect, meaning we want our representatives, people are, which is really what the Kohenim are, to look a certain way, but again, that's not functionality. That's more. It's a, it's more of respect for the office. Well, this is we want our representatives to to do the job properly. I mean, again, it could be argued both. It's debatable. To do to do the job properly, if you want to. 
good attorney or if you want to okay, so, okay, want someone so, so, who can come so, into court and present himself well. You don't want a five foot three attorney. Okay, so that, that's a that's, that's another, one that, that's a great one because um, I, I'm a bit of a baseball fan, and there's a book that was issued that was out several years ago by Michael Lewis, who's written extensively on all sorts of fascinating subjects, which was made into a movie called Moneyball, and the premise there was a general manager who said. <coughs> All you people are evaluating players incorrectly. You look that they're six foot one and they look right and they're mm -hmm. strong and they're powerful and they, they, they for, base for baseball and they have confidence and so that's who you draft. But the guy who's five eight and pudgy actually is faster. And so he mm -hmm. was part of a movement in baseball which is called Sabermetrics, which has changed now the entire way of looking, of, of, of taking folks and looking at them statistically and saying, okay, so Yossi stands 5'7", and, yes. and 135, you know, dripping wet. But boy, he hits singles all day long. And that's what we need. And, and so baseball, amongst other sports, I just use that as again as an analogy, has said, look, we see these guys who are 6'4", we drafted them like crazy. Year after year we drafted the same guys, and year after year we drafted the same guys. And, year after, and you know what? They kept striking out. We kept, you know, what's going on? And we said, let's look at performance. Let's not look at looks. It's, it's really it's fascinating, this, this debate. Cause it's yeah, I love the, the whole subject. What's <laughs> it, it's a movie? A Moneyball. Mm, Michael movie. Lewis, who is a... Uh, famous author and has written about financial subjects uh, just has a, best, a new bestseller out on the market he wrote Liar's Poker and, and all sorts of other books he's um, frequently interviewed uh, wrote Moneyball <coughs> and they made it into a movie so it's a book and a movie book and movie anyway so, so now I was thinking there's the only place out of the temple where this is relevant is, you know, the economy, even today, still duchen, you know, duchening, they do the priestly blessing. So that's done on holidays, right? So the halach there is, <coughs> recalling now, there's a law that says that if they have stuff on their hands that are going to distract people from the blessing, meaning uh, uh, it says if they have discoloration, something like that, so they shouldn't do the, they shouldn't do the blessing. Those konim shouldn't do the blessing. So over there, it's clearly, it's not a functional issue, it's a perception issue. Uh, it says people will actually be distracted by it. So it's not that, well, maybe you can say that's function. You can make that argument. But. So it's an interesting question you're posing, which I didn't think of, which is, is it function or is it perception? Right. So you know they've done all sorts of, they, psychologists and sociologists have done all sorts of studies on kids and, quote, better looking children See. get more favoritism from teachers in early years. And so it's the same, again, it's the same issue. Teachers, perception perception of teachers are drawn to, you know, whether it's better behaved or better dressed or, or look better. I think it goes into these old stages too. Absolutely. Yeah, sure. absolutely. Yeah, business, for sure. Oh, no, I, I, yeah. no question. I'm yeah. just saying, but I, I, it, it starts all the way down. Sure. Um, at a very young age, mm -hmm. and look, you can imagine. I mean, you're, you're teaching a class, and here you have the, these eleven pudgy children, <laughs> and you have these eleven, yeah, you true. know, children that, that you know their parents bought them a little nicer clothes, and they look a little better. Yeah, you're absolutely right. It's pervasive. Don't don't each of us make an evaluation? You know, they mm -hmm. talk about first impressions. Well, what are first impressions? Uh -huh. You know, I say it. Look the, the first thing. Mm -hmm. yeah, for sure, when you're hiring an attorney, you want someone with our money. You want someone with a eight hundred dollar suit, two hundred dollar tie. You don't want to hire some schlep who, you know, his shirt's hanging out. Right. Even though he could be just as skillful or skill more skillful. So 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 clearly. So again, there's so just to get it straight. I'm not sure. I'm not sure I have it straight, but is that, well, the first opinion, what we're saying is that God's not discriminating against Kahneman with disabilities. He is, he's sort of, uh, he's doing what we as a society sub 
consciously or consciously, whatever, however you want to We discriminate. Right? We discriminate. That's the fact of human beings. So it's still this question, like you're saying, God, why didn't God give that message? We shouldn't be discriminating. But, but in essence, he, it's not about him, it was about society. Society is, I don't know if you saw uh, in the news, this, this terrible uh, story with this coach. Yes. Did you read about this? this oh, sure. Uh, sure, the owner. Uh, yeah, he's Jewish, which is very, yeah. even makes it even sadder. Horrible. I didn't know it until I saw it on the Israeli website. You know about, about this? This, uh, this uh, Jewish owner, I don't know if you have his name, of the Mavericks. Owner of the uh, Los Angeles Clippers basketball <laughs> team, which is currently in the playoffs. So we got a recording of him he with is in his 80s easily as a 25 year old girlfriend mistress. He's married. Who, who appears to be she's mixed race, certainly African American and Asian. Hispanic, Hispanic. Oh, Hispanic. Both African American and Hispanic. <laughs> yeah, I mean, yeah, beautiful. Uh-huh. Uh, there's a recorded conversation which he denigrates African Americans terribly. He says, don't bring him to my game. <laughs> don't be she took a, a picture with Michael Jordan, and she put it on her Instagram, and he's very upset about it. Like, why you shouldn't associate with blacks with blacks? It goes on and on. Like, it's a nine, yeah, it's a nine-minute conversation, all on tape. So... <laughs> of course he's Jewish. Yeah. So, this has been all... I can't believe you, you couldn't turn on the news and miss this. I mean... Uh, I don't, you know what's been the news is not on. So the kids' okay. program or my wife's programming. Oh, so. this is... CNN is, is living on this. <laughs> so, uh, so, what's sad is, I mean... Now I want to go with that. Oh, meaning, meaning that he, he makes this point. I don't know if you listened to the whole conversation. But it's, he makes this point. Not that he's right. But unfortunately, he said, I'm not racist. He's, he's saying it's the culture we live in. He has to adapt to our culture. Our culture doesn't want to, well, sh- we shouldn't be associating these people in our culture. That's his point. Well, it's his, his point there, he keeps on arguing. I'm not, I'm not racist, God forbid. But this is, our culture's racist. That's what he's saying. Which is really a certain sense of what we're saying. I mean, human beings, listen, no matter how much we deny it, there's a certain sense of we treat people who are different differently. Yes. Whether we admit it or not, and so we don't like to admit it. It's a fact of human nature. It's, I think, part of us as, as good human beings, and that's what we're trying to do with the, even I think the government's trying to do with the ADA, is to overcome that. You know, it's meaning all laws are really trying to impose a certain ethical standard. That's what laws are. We're trying to take something that, this is, what, this is where ethics is, the way we should be, and we try to pass that into law. So that's really what the ADA is in a certain sense. We're taking uh, this ethical standard, which we know as human beings we have this problem. We treat people who are differently different, who look differently, who act differently differently, and we need to overcome that. So that's that's clearly what's what it's about here. But here what we're saying is that we're admitting, and again, that our society has this problem. So God realizing that, we're saying, says, therefore, it's, it's something that uh, it's going to be hard to change. So in the temple, we need to have a perception where it's a perfect world. Which again, so it's debatable. Right, just, just one note yeah. on the Look at the most interesting part. His his current wife is suing him, so we don't know the details of that. But that nothing has, to do with this. For this, right? Nothing to do with this particular thing. But apparently, there's an ongoing suit, and uh-huh. it's at least his something. Wife she's. His wife I, 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 I would bet, but I don't know. Actually, I saw a great. Uh, there's a homeless guy right here on the uh, Buffalo Sp- Kirby yesterday. I was making a U-turn on. The highway. It was a homeless guy with the sign. Says, "This was a sign. My ex-wife had a very good attorney. <laughs> Please get." <laughs> that was a sign. I couldn't. Stay. I wanted. I was. I was going to stop to give him and make it in time. I made the turn too fast. Anyway, so uh, okay. So that's. So this is part again. Actually, it's interesting. I saw. Look at this quote um, number two. It says, form, unfortunately, I think specifically in Western society, form over substance is really what it's about. So I expand this quote from Scott Adams. It says, the earth is populated by shallow and ignorant people. That's why form will always be more important than, su- than substance. You can waste your time complaining about how that should not be the case in a perfect world, or you can snap out of it and follow my advice. So, so it's a, this is a fact of life. Um, so again, the Torah, the reason why we need to answer the Torah and... We, we, answer, we need to answer the questions because the Torah, there's a famous verse that's from Mishlei, from Proverbs, where 
King Solomon writes, the Torah, we like to think the Torah's ways have to be ways of pleasantness. And you can't have something in the Torah which is discriminatory. And, and therefore, we need to find an answer as to why, again, again, we're going to the assumption of this time that Torah is divinely written, so God can't be discriminatory. Okay, you can't say the American government has more, uh, you mm. know, is nicer than God. You don't like to say that. Okay, so, so just other, so I, what I found is other places where the Torah clearly does not have this view. So number one, of course, we have the concept of Tzalem Elohim, human dignity, which is that says no matter who the person is, we always have to treat everyone with dignity equally. We're all created in the image of God. Every human being needs to be given respect and dignity. Every human has unlimited potential to achieve and given the opportunity. So that's a basic belief. The Torah, Jewish or not Jewish, we don't uh, discriminate in that concept. Everyone is equally created in the image of God. And therefore people um, who have disabilities are no different. People with special needs, we, they all have to be treated. They all understood they're created in the image of God. They, everyone has a soul and everyone is equal in that sense. Now what's interesting is, and this gets into the question of the ADA, there's societal obligations and then there's obligations as an individual, as an employer. And my very nice society, we might have to treat everyone equally. But the question is, when it comes to as an employer, does that mean I have to hire someone um, or not discriminate in my hiring um, just if, if it's going to affect and how much do I have to risk my business in that matter? Because there's no question, certain people with disabilities um, um, will affect your business and, and for sure the perception part of your business. I mean, this is debatable, obviously. Actually, was, this morning I was trying to Google preparing the class. So I Googled ADA, hiring, uh, hiring people with disabilities, and it just news. I wanted to see anything recent. So there was a, so actually, I didn't quote it because it was on Al Jazeera. But, uh, but Al Jazeera had a whole article how it was a high-tech company um, recently claimed that they, 1% of their workforce, they hire people with autism, actually is better. Um, people with autism yeah, in high-tech areas. Yeah, companies recently making that claim that they have been hiring people on the autism spectrum. It actually because, helps. Because they it have helps. Different right, they have a different brain and mm -hmm. they focus differently and better mm -hmm. on, on So specifically tests. in high-tech, this company, I remember yeah. which company it was, said that they actually found that they're better and so it didn't help, which is interesting. So, so, the, so again, there's a societal question and then there's a, a personal employer's question. So first of all, just as far as hiring, um, we discussed this in the past, as far as and this, I really think this is the Torah's view. You're not obligated. Torah doesn't say that as the ADA you can't discriminate if someone has a disability in hiring them. Again, believing that will affect your business um, to the detriment of your business. No obligation to hire someone with a disability. But it, just like anything else, it's, it's viewed as charity, meaning laws of charity, and we discussed this in the past. Maimonides says the highest level of charity is to give someone self-reliance. So that means if someone if you're giving them the opportunity to support themselves, whether by a job, a loan, so I quoted here my manis, which he brought in the past, highest level of giving is the gift of self-reliance. To enter into a partnership or to find work for a person, meaning not giving money. Giving money is less, is on the, on the levels of charity, giving someone a handout is much lower than giving someone a job. So that he or she will never have to ask again. Concerning this, it states you shall support him, stranger the resident, and he shall live among you. Implied is that you should support him before he falls and become needy. So giving him a job, an opportunity to work or make money, is actually the highest level of charity. So I think the same would apply clearly to someone who's disabled, who doesn't, who in many cases because they can't get a job will have to rely on, on government aid or whatever the case is. So by offering, giving them some form of a job where they can actually make some money, as far as charity, again, it's, not a, it's, it's a charitable act. It's not obligatory in the sense of, it's obligatory in the sense of charity. Um, but again, it's a very, obviously a very big mitzvah if you can do that. And they have a lot of these programs in the city. I know JFS has, um, even Three Brothers has, have a program at JFS, Three Brothers Bakery, where the people put it together, their bakery boxes are disabled yeah, people. Working there. They have stickers on them. Um, yeah, they, so they, they, again, they're probably paying them, I'm sure, less than minimum wage. <laughs> but the point is, it's just, you're helping, even just the fact that they feel good that they're getting, they have a job, is a beautiful concept. Okay, so that's one aspect. Um, another aspect is, so this is a fascinating thing I found, that um, in the Torah itself, and, and this is a famous story, I believe, we discussed in the past the actual leadership of the, in Parshat Shmos. Uh, we brought different proofs of leadership abilities, 
um, the Torah's view on leadership from Moses. So Moshe himself, which is fascinating, as we know, um, the story is he had a major speech impediment. When Hashem asks Moshe to take the job, so it says, I quoted the verse here from Exodus, it says, Moshe spoke before the Lord, saying, Behold, the children of Israel did not hearken to me. How then will Pharaoh hearken to me, seeing that I am of closed lips? The Hebrew term is aral sfatayim. So some literal translation is circumcised lips. There's a big debate. The Torah doesn't say what exactly his disability was. The Medrash describes a famous story where when he was a child, um, Pharaoh knew the future leader was going to be born, the male leader was going to be born at that time. So it says he they tested Moshe by placing a, 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 a nugget of gold and a coal, a hot coal in front of Moshe to see which one he would take. He said if he would go for the crown, the jewel, the crown jewel was one, and they knew that he would in the future unsurp the, the, the pharaoh. So it says that he was going to go, and most babies actually go for the bright, shiny thing. He's going to go for the crown, um, for the gold, and uh, it says an angel came and pushed his hand he took the coal and he put it in his mouth and that's the Medrash says that's what happened therefore it, it, he had a major speech impediment his whole life um, from that story okay but clear, the Torah clearly is saying he had a speech impediment so the question is um, exactly, exactly what the speech impediment was some say he was a major stutterer that Moshe was a stutterer his whole life so he's telling God why are you choosing me he's trying to get out of the job he's choosing me to go speak to Pharaoh as the representative of the Jewish people I'm the last guy you want. I can't, I can't get a full sentence without stuttering, without... Um, he says some say he had a lisp. Whatever it was, he had this impediment. Um, so the question I saw asked, this is a fascinating question, is, so why did, first of all, you see, God did choose him. Why did God, why did God choose someone who has a speech impediment? Secondly, God could have healed him. Why, you know, God is the healer, right? It's, it's in two weeks ago, it says, Ani Hashem Rofech, I am God your healer. God wanted, he could have healed Moses, the speech impediment, whatever he had. Secondly, Moshe, why didn't Moshe ask God to heal the speech impediment? You know, you could argue he was trying to get out of the job. It's not a, probably not a, such a coveted position to lead the Jewish people. No one uh, wants that, <laughs> that job. It's a tough job. But, uh, but he, didn't, he didn't ask God to, to heal him. God didn't heal him. The question is, why not? So I put here, this is a quote, actually, it's a friend of mine. has a book, uh, wrote a book recently, he discusses this. So he wrote, you know, whichever way one, is, one understands the verses, there are many lessons to be learned as to how as a society should tr- treat people with disabilities and what our perception of ourselves as human beings with a disability should be. The lesson is clear. Disability is not an excuse for anyone not to hire someone by virtue of their disability. Because here you see God specifically could have healed Moses. He didn't heal him. And he hired him specifically in spite of his disability. Many times, on the contrary, they're able to use all their existing talents and abilities to achieve their goals and fulfill their potential and achieve the task at hand. It's very clear in the story of Moses that a person's impediment and disability should not get in the way of doing things to the best of their ability, and in many situations can achieve more than those without any disabilities. Clear message to firms when hiring that physical disabilities, is my tradition, physical disabilities should not necessarily be perceived as disabilities, but as abilities. On the contrary, many times they have proven themselves by overcoming their unique challenge. challenges, they can achieve goals and aspirations by problem solving and thinking out of the box. When we do our hiring, we need to bear this in mind. So this is actually a speech I gave uh, a few weeks in uh, February. I was asked to speak in a law firm downtown. That wasn't a Jewish thing, it was, um, it was for, for Andrews and Kurt. They were having a, a CLE on, on the ADA, and they wanted to hear the ethical perspective, so they called me up. So I actually, I, it was hard for me to find something, I was trying to find something from the door. They, can, uh, they were trying to push that we, should, we need to hire people with disabilities. Um, what, what I find fascinating, just dealing with them, is almost every big firm today has what's called a diversity director, which deals with, uh, for homosexuals and most, um, this guy happens to be, of course, the, was Jewish and gay. The guy who's running the diversity uh, in this firm. Um, he introduced me to his partner. It was married, legally married, from in a different state. In any case, the the point is, there's such a I mean, move today and to go so much more to the other side. We have to be diverse and we have to hire people with disabilities to show that we're diversity. Which, by the way, is one of the arguments is that. Having diversity, which is really in its next affirmative action, also, which I, I did put in the title, not in, this, in the email, so I wasn't sure where I was going to go with that, but that's relevant to that. One of the arguments for affirmative action 
is that there should be diversity in the universities and firms, whatever it is, meaning that diversity helps society, um, which I think is a valid argument, clearly in, in our society, in American society today. There's no question, I think one of the strengths of our society is the fact that we're so diverse. Um, does it actually help your business? Uh, no, I can't attest. You know, you might, uh, Laney works for a large energy, my wife Laney yeah. works for a large energy company, and you would think that, you know, natural gas pipeline company, where could it be more conservative? They are all over the issue of diversity. They monitor it, they report on it. They, right, so today it's become they, such a, it's like a requirement uh, for these big companies. They believe that that's important for them But does, in does the it help their bottom line? Is, they, are they doing they, it because they think it helps business? They believe that that's important. Trying to do the right thing. Well, which, which comes first? It's a chicken <laughs> and egg. They believe that having a, I'm paraphrasing because it's her area, not mine, yeah. that having a diverse workplace environment that's open to everybody attracts the best talent. So, mm -hmm. by attracting the best talent, mm -hmm. don't you drive your bottom line. Right. So, they believe that that's mm -hmm. all, you know, I've never right, but so, so the meaning they're not doing it because they want to be PC or do the right thing. It's both. Might have started with that, but now. I've never heard it expressed by her, and that's her area there. Uh, that she What's her hiring? Well, monitoring it right. and reporting on it. There's all sorts of agencies that look at that and care about it, and then you get a reputation in the community, sort of like this guy at the Clippers. Who's going to want? What player is going to want to play for him anymore? Team, right. Okay. That's true. Well, at her company, they want a good reputation, so that the best and the brightest will come to work for them. So mm. it's, it's paying them well, treating really them well, having a diverse workforce, having community interests, all that. Right, so it's interesting, when I was doing, when I was speaking to Andrews Curtis, I don't know if you remember, I asked you, I asked you why, would you hire someone with disabilities and why would, and you were the only, I asked a few CEOs of different companies in town when I met, and I, you know, and most of them were very proud. They said the reason why they would hire someone or make, um, what was it called we mentioned before, make uh, accommodations, is because it shows their employee pool that they care about them. And that uh, helps them retain employees for longer. And you're the only one who disagreed. <laughs> but if you remember, you said then, so you told me, you know, the problem is if you make, if you change the rules for one person, he thinks it's an unhealthy thing. And in the workforce, you start changing the rules for one employee, so then where do you draw the line? Change it for this person, so then next person says, well, I need accommodations for this. Grandmother's sake, man, that, you know, that was your point. Right, and that's, that was a that's why point. I really, already, when you said about the hours, because I found that from practical experience, the instant, it, uh, what employees do is they watch all the other employees. Mm -hmm. And when you tell uh, Chaim Yonkel that he can leave at 3.30 because he told you his grandmother's sick, you can expect Sally to be in your office like this, next saying, okay, it was okay that his grandmother was sick. Well, you know, my child needs an early pickup today. And it's never it's really ending. Driven. Never ending. To me, that's very different than reasonable accommodations in the workplace. Uh, but you have to be careful there. You know, it, if the reasonable accommodation is to allow 75 minutes for lunch, then when you don't allow everybody 75 minutes, you've discriminated the other way. So, if the reasonable accommodation is they, they need, you know, a brighter light, get them a brighter light. But if they need more time, if they mm -hmm. need, you know, it, it, if it's, you know, now the thing in schools, not the thing, but has been untimed tests. Mm -hmm. Well, she's not on an untimed test. I'm already upset she didn't get the letter out that I gave her this morning. It's not a, you know, take your time. <laughs> of course there's a time test. And my, and, and I'll be very specific, my youngest uh, qualified uh, for special accommodations through his life. And working with him, and was offered such at, at all schools and at Bel Air High School, he turned it down. And he, and he turned it down because I've worked with him that if he needs to sit close, 
which he does, he needs to get there early. He doesn't need a place set aside right, That's for also, him. by the way, another, another argument about, about uh, using my mind. And uh, that's the thing with hiring, you said before. Hiring minorities, what's it called? Affirmative action. Affirmative action. Mm-hmm. So another argument against affirmative action, one of the arguments is that it works against, against the minorities, the fact that they, people know, oh, they lower the standards to, so that can work against people with disabilities also. People assume, you know, you got hired because of lower standards, that can work against them. So you have to be careful with that, meaning we're trying to help them, but in a certain sense, like you're saying, mm-hmm. son, if you're giving someone in school, you know, accommodations for a test, you know, you give them no time limit, people know, oh, that's how they were, you know, employers at a later point will say, oh, you, know, you only got mm-hmm. to where you got into, or you to college, you got into Harvard, only because of the reasonable well, see, I find that discussion fascinating also, because if you go over to the River Oaks Country Club, they will go on and on about, we can't let minorities in because it shows, you know, they, they may not live up to standard. But they don't have anything to say about what I call legacies. Mm-hmm. Well, I gave yes, $22 was, million. Dollars. In the Wall Street Journal. I, I gave Friday's uh, Journal. Oh, uh, sorry, Friday's New York Times. I gave I $22 million dollars to, to the country, Hope, Hope, Hope to University. Uh-huh. My child should get in. So you need that, to that send me the article. With. Friday's New York Times had this exact article. On th- that, that is a form of affirmative action. So it is a form of affirmative action. Because Mo- Harvard, I think it's 20% in all the Ivy Leagues, 20% of their entries are legacy, what they call people, oh, or donors, or kids of... Uh, that's automatic, 20%. So that's a form of, it's a form of affirmative action. Right. 100%. So that's and of course, it, you know, Jews who in the past weren't allowed into the Ivy Leagues. Because they're giving. No, who qualified academically and then got places, now are upset that it's going the other way, that the Asian children are getting in academically and there aren't enough spaces for the Jews anymore. Even so when there were, there were quotas for Jews, you say? Oh, yeah. Oh, it's, oh, oh, but the quotas, I thought, worked against the Jews. Worked against the Jews. Yeah, against yeah. Till finally, you know, they kept overcoming. Oh, but now overcoming. the Jews are getting because they're giving money. Right. <laughs> So That's right. So let me just Actually, if you look in the back, I found two fascinating studies. Um, one is, you see here, one was by DePaul University. So another, some number of fascinating findings. One is um, employees with disabilities were just as dependable and productive as employees without. Employees with disabilities had nearly identical job performance ratings as employees without disabilities. Again, it doesn't describe what the disabilities were. The amount of supervision required was similar for both groups. Participants from certain sectors stayed on the job longer than their counterparts. Very few special accommodations were provided to employees with disabilities. The average cost of the accommodations was $313. Because the point is there. So again, at Laney's company, which is a big Fortune 500, um, if you say that your hand hurts or your back hurts, somebody comes around like that and they'll get you a new keyboard, a new desk, a new chair. And, okay, you can say, well, boy, that's really ridiculous, but the company says, I'm going to spend an average of $313, and I don't have, you, you don't go on disability, you, so your workplace, you know, you're, 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 it's a cost-effective mm. expenditure, and so on the one hand you say, why did I need to get better lighting? Well, <laughs> no, if, if you're, yeah. so you're, you're actually gaining, the company's gaining in many right, cases. So it's no, and it's no different than... You know, why do places have lunchrooms? Well, you know, some companies, um, and I saw this years ago at law firms, you know, before it was widely popular in firms, you know, have lunch provided there. Well, think how much time, you know, it is productive. If you just take the elevator down or you go down the hall, you eat a sandwich and you get back to your desk. Now, that's not a disability, but it is all about the bottom line. Right. So I read another study here from University of Iowa's Law Health Policy and Disability Center. So they, they, they listed off direct and indirect benefits. Just read you some of them, which sound like fast. Retain the value employee was to some of direct benefits, 90%. Increase the employee's productivity, 71%. Increase diversity of the company, that's 41%. 
indirect benefits was increased overall company morale 60%, increased overall company productivity 56%, increased profitability was 30%, um, they said by hiring people with disabilities. So I don't know exactly how the study is done, but I put here it, it was done with 1,182 employers. Um, it's, just, it's interesting. Obviously, this, this people that are quoting this have an agenda, but assuming even part of it, what they're saying is, is true. It's pretty mm -hmm. impressive. So, uh, so it's interesting, again, to see what, and I think America's gone to the opposite extreme, like in, you know, of what we have to do, what's required in order to accommodate. But many times it works, like okay. You don't, you don't have this issue here. It, it's a thin line between what you have to do and should do and what's too much. So if you're in a wheelchair and you can't go up a step, then a ramp is essential. Um, for us, the ramp is a wasteful expenditure. Why are there ramps everywhere? But if you're in a wheelchair, it's an absolute stop. Mm. Or if you're in a wheelchair, you know, for us it doesn't matter the width of the bathroom stall. Mm. But imagine you're in a wheelchair and you can't go to the bathroom. Mm -hmm. The further part, you know, where the line is, of, you know, people parking close because there's handicap signs and stickers and mm. the effort to enforce that well. Uh, That's abused a lot. <laughs> I make I make the argument that I think it's counterproductive. That if you look in Europe, where handicap accessibility is not the norm, and you see old people forced to get out and shuffle along, mm. they're all, they're actually in better shape. Shalom.